0: You might be reading a book, you might be watching a movie, and you might say to yourself on occasion, if I had written this story, if I had been the one to decide what happens, it would have turned out much different than this. Maybe you're reading a book and and it's okay, but boy, if you thought if at that one point, that one juncture, they just let me have my way with this story, it would have been a New York Times bestseller. Or maybe you're like me and you're watching Harry Potter. Now, I can't complain about this. She's a billionaire. What can I say about what I would have done? But anybody watch that movie and go, who puts Hermione with Ron? Anybody else wonder that? Who in the world would put her with him? She belongs with Harry. But, you know, I didn't write it. You can sometimes come to Scripture thinking that. If, if I'd have done this story, I'd have done it different. If, if it were me... That's dangerous when you do that with Scripture, right? But if it were me, I'd have put that tree of the knowledge of good and evil underground. Anybody else think that would be a good idea? Just put it underground. It grows. Don't ask how. That serpent. That serpent would be in Antarctica somewhere, right? Just put them down there. Or somebody told me before this, if they'd been caging, they'd just eaten that snake, and you'd have never heard anything from it, right? Right? Um, but, but we know something from Scripture. We know that God's ways and thoughts are way higher than ours. Would you agree with me that when God does something, even though we think we do it different, God does it better than us? Would you agree with that? God is smarter than you are. Would you also agree that God is smarter than your preacher? Would anybody agree? Yeah, okay, all right. I, no offense to that. A little too excited about that nod. But, yeah, I get it. That's true. God, his ways are higher. And notice this. The greatest story ever told, the gospel, the Jews considered it inconceivable. The Gentiles considered it foolish, but that's exactly how God brought the power of salvation to us in this strange gospel story that took place over three days in history, and that's what we're talking about. Last time, we were on Friday. We'll talk about Sunday later. Today, we're talking about that time in between, this should be a very short sermon, shouldn't it? Because there's nothing that happens on Saturday. Notice there's this frenzy of activity on Friday, right? We talked about it last time, and it's very emotional to even think about all the stuff that happened back and forth, and it's loud, and it's chaotic, and it leads to his death, and he's buried. So much happened, and we know what's coming on Sunday, this climactic moment of victory when it comes up out of that grave, and it starts being seen by people. But Saturday, crickets. Nothing happens on Saturday. You may remember, we showed this last time, this is the must-do list of Jesus. He published this before he was ever facing the cross. He told the apostles this over and over again, and all that red right there, all that happened on Friday. That black down there on the third day be raised, that's going to be Sunday. There's nothing left for Saturday. It's boring. It's boring. It's dull. If I had written the story, this is when I enter, I would take it straight from Friday to Sunday. Get her done, right? Let's get it done. I mean, Jesus, he he has to die. That's terrible. He does, though. But we also know he's going to write. Let's bring on Sunday, do a 10-minute intermission, and then bring on the rest of the story. Why is there this day of useless, wasted time? The chaos and confusion that reigned on Friday just has time to seep into the pores of everybody there on Saturday when clarity will come on Sunday. Let's rush this on. Move right along. It's like your 17th birthday. At 16, you get to drive. At 18, you get to vote. 17. A cake? I mean, well, I don't know nothing. There's nothing that happens. And that's what Saturday's like, There's only one thing ever talked about on Saturday. It was read very well by Ben a moment ago. This is when the chief priests and the Jewish leaders go to the Roman leaders and say, you know what? He said he was going to be raised on the third day, and that would be a terrible thing for us, for anybody to say that, because we know they'd just go steal the body. That's how he would be raised, right? And so why don't you put a Roman guard, the most powerful force in the world, puts a guard there. They seal the tomb, and there's a guard there, just to make sure. It just has to do for a couple of days. That's it. And once that's done, you're okay. That's all that happens on Saturday. No progress in the story of redemption. No action on the plan of salvation. Nothing. And in fact, you add to this, it's a Saturday. And to the Jews, what happens on Saturday? Nothing. It's Sabbath. They can't do a thing. And so they're sitting here all day long. They're just sitting on their hands because they can't do anything. Here's my question, when God chose three important days to put into history, why did he put one day with absolutely nothing on it? Why did he make sure there was a Sabbath smack dab in the middle of the three most important days? And people have struggled with this, and so they've put some stuff in there. Here's one kind of a Catholic belief, it's called the harrowing of hell. That while Jesus was dead in the grave, he went into the spiritual realm and he set loose and declared victory and triumph there and set free those spirits from the beginning of the world that have been enslaved ever since then. It's a strange theory, but you know what? There's a verse for it. Take you to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Back up if you would. Yeah. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body. And made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. That is one of the weirdest passages. Verse chapter 4 has another verse. You can see it on there. A little bit they use for this. I don't really know what Jesus did there, but let me tell you, that passage makes it clear that he didn't do it while he was dead, he did it after he arose. Because the truth is, the victory of Jesus over death did not happen until he was raised. When he was dead, there's no victory. He's still dead. Death has him in its grip, right? For one whole day, he's in death's grip. He's not doing anything. And then when he overcomes, that's when he can declare victory. He can't declare the victory that victory before then. So it's, it's more after Sunday than it is during Saturday. Well, I don't know Saturday, the truth is this, nothing happened. It was stone silent. Jesus was absolutely, totally, completely, 100% dead. So this little passage about him being still and silent has a little bit of value to us. The first value is apologetic. If you don't know what apologetics, it's just a fancy word that means defense. Defense. There's a lot of people who will say to us Christians, you just believe in God because you want to. It brings you some kind of calm. It brings you some kind of comfort. And so you create God to make you feel, you feel better. But apologetics is this entire field of study where we say that we've got evidences to support the beliefs of Christianity. And one of the evidences is this. Jesus really did die. Romans know what dead people look like. You know, They broke the legs of the t- criminals, but they didn't. Jesus, he was already dead and they knew it. And then they put him in a tomb. He's dead, y'all. That's what you put in tombs, dead people. Not only that, but no one stole the body. There's lots of people throughout history said the Romans stole it, the Jews stole it, the disciples stole it. But here's the truth. The Romans, the most powerful force in the world, guarded that tomb during that time. This man was dead. No one stole the body. When he came out, it's because God raised him from the dead. He is a resurrected Lord. And that is not just a hopeful thing in our head. It is a historical thing we know is true. And we've got this kind of account that tells us this. But there's another thing in here. Let's review your history for a minute. When God did that work of creating for six days and he finished, what did he do the seventh day? He rested. But he didn't just rest. He looked back upon that six days of work, and he found it very good. He reflected. So, what happened on Friday? What does Jesus say at the end of the cross? It is finished. Everything I came here to do, everything God asked me It's finished, and what does he do on the seventh day? He rested, and you know what happened that day? God looked down at that and said, that is my good son, I'm well, pleased. look, he finished exactly what I wanted to do, and the the work of salvation is done, and I'm just gonna sit here, and I'm gonna enjoy it. And he wanted us to do that too. He wanted the disciples to reflect on that, but they missed it. They simply missed it and we do the same thing when we're forced into inactivity physically where God wants us to engage with him mentally and spiritually we struggle with this because we want to be doing something all the time and this is what we're doing here you're sitting in a pew doing nothing Isn't that hard? I mean, if you're forced to stop at a stoplight, what do you do? You get on your phone, and then people have to honk at you and say, it's, it's green now, because if there's any time in my life where I'm not busy with something, I've got to be occupied. I've got to do something. I've got to say to my parents, Mom and Dad, I'm bored. It's up to you to end my boredom. Give me something fun to do, because it's a sin not to be doing something. We're wasting time. We're not accomplishing anything. We must be entertained. We must be engaged. This is unclaimed time. But in the middle of the most amazing time in history, right smack dab in the middle, God made them have a time out. Think about what happened here. But they didn't. Just like us, they had to stay busy. God is crystal clear about this in Scripture. You may remember the summary of Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. We read it last week, but he said, You know what I've handed down to you is of first importance. Jesus was killed for your sins, he was buried, and he rose on the third day. And that, that phrase, on the third day, is really important in Scripture. It's important in Jesus. On the third day. Over and over again, on the third day. So the first day he dies, and on the third day he raises, but it never says anything about the second day. But you can't get to the third day without going through the second day. I mean, it's just kind of, that's the number system we use. And how many times has God done this? Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. And he packs him up, takes some stuff on a mule, two others with him. I find that interesting. Jesus was buried, you know took two other servants with him and it says they went on a journey and on the third day God said now it's time why did he do that if you're going to ask me to do this God don't, don't let me change my mind don't let me think about it so clearly that all of a sudden I'm like I don't want to do this he made him think about it for three days before he finally said do it that has got to be the most excruciating thing Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. They just come out of nowhere, suddenly there they are in Egypt. He puts them in prison, and he releases them on the third day. What do you think he's doing there? I want you to be good and long about what you've done, how you might have done something to deserve this. This is called, in football, icing the kicker. It's the last minute, you know, you've got three seconds left, he's gotta make this field goal in order to win this game. And this other team has three timeouts. It's a 45-yard field goal. And what, do, what happens? That is the longest time of the entire football game. That, thir- that three seconds takes 18 minutes. Because they, timeout, timeout. What do they want to do? Think about this, kicker. Think about this. NCAA basketball, are you watch it. The last 30 seconds takes two days. We're down by 20. Foul them, we might be able to come back in 30 seconds with 20 points. Give me a break. Somebody tell them, hey, fork's in you. You're done, right? No, 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 we're going to stretch this out. I think that's kind of what they do here. There are other things like this. Rahab has the spies and sends the people off in a different direction. He says, okay. She says to him, now you go up in the hills over here, and you stay there, and on the third day you can go home because they'll give up by then. On the third day you can go home. Esther. Gotta go to the king because her people are at stake. You remember this? Esther? Mordecai tells her, and she says, Okay, I'm gonna go into the king. But listen, you guys be in prayer and fasting, and on the third day I'll go into the king. What is the second day important? Is it oh well, it's just a magic number three. No. We need to do something on that second day to prepare for that third day. You might put, you might put a guy named. Anybody thinking of another person? Three days, three nights in the belly of a fish? You might think of Jonah. You know, you know, God, I get the point. It would take me about four minutes in the belly of a fish to have my attitude changed. How about you? Anybody else? Do you think it would take three days down there hearing the digestive tract of a, of a, of a fish and, and, and wondering when I'm going to go down there? Would it take you that long? Wouldn't take me that long. What about, what about Saul who became Paul? He became blind, and on the third day, God let him see again. Why did it it take that long? I don't know, but all the way through the story, there's this significance. And Jesus told him it's going to be on the third day. There's something about this. I'm going to make an observation that we live in Friday and Saturday. Friday, salvation was secured. Salvation has been provided, God's plan is fulfilled. Sunday is when we get to see it and celebrate it and rejoice in it and be able to experience it in full. But that Saturday is, we know our salvation's provided. We know we're saved, but we're not fully saved until he comes back. And so we're waiting for something too. We're waiting for the next move. There's nothing else that has to happen. Jesus just comes and finishes this baby off and we get to go home. That's all that awaits us, church. We we know salvation's provided, it's been purchased. now we're waiting to see it, and it's full. We're living out Saturday. That's where we live. I was visiting Benita Fields at Southwind this week. Afreda lives there. Annette lives there. And I was visiting her, and she said, I just came to the realization this week that I'm old. I said, I could have told you that 10 years ago. I said, you got dust on your shoulder. You're starting to head that way already. No, I didn't say that. That's terrible. I said, when did it dawn on you, Benita, that you're old? She said, I was talking to my sons. They took me out to eat, and we are going home. And she said, just take me back to those old people. And they said, old people? Yeah, all those people around me, they're old. And they looked at her and said, you're living with them. You are them. You're old, Mom. And she said, it dawned on me they're right. I said, you're right. They're right. Of course they are. And she says, you know, I was remembering all those. She grew up at Holden Avenue there in Newport. She said, I remember all those old ladies back then. I looked up to them and I admired them. She says, now I am them. I said, yeah, that's a strange reality right there. You know what that means? I said, what's that mean? She said, I'm just waiting here to die. I said, no, you're not really. There's signs of life all over this building. And a lot of people like to get there, and I found out why this week. They treated me to some peach cobbler and coffee. That was some of the best stuff I've ever had. I, I live there. It tastes great. You got great. She said, but yeah, but the next thing is to die. I move out of here when I move into a casket. I said, yeah, but you know what? That's pretty much true of all of us. That's where we are. That's the next step. You're living, church, in Saturday. Salvation's wrapped up for us. We've, we've received God's great blood, but we're just waiting for him to bring it about in its fullness. But there's something important about today. Don't just think you're biding your time and you're wasting your time and you're sitting here trying to, to figure out what to do. now. You've got some things to do. So in this Friday time, what are we supposed to do? And I'm going to answer that by saying this. What should the disciples have done on that Saturday? What should they have been doing? And here's number one. They should have been reviewing they should have been reviewing. Jesus made Sunday knowable long before it came. He made it knowable. Do you know why he told you? Do you know why he told you about what's going to happen? So you can prepare for it. He wanted you not to be taken by surprise and have this disheartened experience. He wanted you to know, and yet you, don't, you, you didn't spend that day reviewing. You guys should have been reviewing what Jesus told you. Now, you want to let them off the hook, and they couldn't have seen it, right? You want to let them off, but you can't. Let's go back to that text, Matthew 27. The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. His opponents who wanted him dead remembered what he said. Why didn't the people who knew him best remember that? How is it that the people who hate his guts and killed him remembered what he taught better than the people who believed in him? Shame on them! They even acted on it. Let's get a guard, make sure it doesn't happen. And meanwhile, the disciples are sitting there acting like their lives are over. You remember the checklist, right? They had heard that checklist over and over again, and they know the only thing left is on the third day. You may remember the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John actually get to go up and they see Moses and Elijah and they talk about the the exodus to come and on the way down, Jesus explains it to them but then he turns at them and he says, don't tell the rest of them until I've risen from the dead. Why are they not thinking about that on Saturday? Why are they not reviewing all these amazing stories? We have VBS and we remember this. They had the words of Jesus straight into their ears and they weren't reviewing them on Saturday on that Saturday why not that's what Saturday people should do they should remember and it makes me smile when it ends on Sunday you remember this when the angel says to a woman don't be afraid I know you're looking for Jesus who is crucified he's not here he's risen what did he say just like he said you know what that is that's when your wife says to you told you so he told you this your misery of saturday is not necessary it's not necessary you chose it because you didn't review what he said as we are waiting between salvation secured and salvation fully given. We must not let ourselves forget. Let's get together often and review. And just because you know it now doesn't mean you'll know it in two weeks. We need to review. I know lots of people who've known before the things that we review today. They've known it. They've known it for years, and they turn on it, and they walk away, and they forget all the things that God says is still ahead for us. They've forgotten what God has done. They've forgotten that Jesus is coming back, and and they lose it. I don't want that to happen to anybody here. You have to worry about Alzheimer's and dementia. That's one of the greatest fears of Americans. That's a spiritual reality too, but here's the weird thing. That spiritual reality can be completely prevented by getting together and reviewing. So come to Bible class. I've heard it before. I know you've heard it before. Hear it again. Let's review this. Let's not let ourselves forget. We're Saturday people, but Sunday's coming. And while it's a long time off, it feels like it has been, we've got to review. We've got to remember. Don't let yourself forget it. We should be uh, anticipating. Jesus said, on the third day, As the disciples were living that Saturday, Friday was yesterday, right? They'd just seen the events of Friday yesterday. That was yesterday. And they're sitting here on Saturday, looking back at yesterday, but they're listening to the words of Jesus, on the third day I will rise. That's tomorrow. What do you do when you know that in the morning he's going to be living again? You're a little giddy, aren't you? You're a little lighter. You're like, man, that's really amazing. We better be there. We're joy-filled, even while we're living out Saturday. The disciples weren't, though. We find out the next day, and the two disciples in the road to Emmaus, they were, it says, their hopes were dashed. They were feeling hopeless on Saturday. Man, all our hopes are gone. We're sitting here. We're thinking about, I don't know what we're thinking. and, And then we find out in John chapter 20 that they were hiding in fear of the Jewish authorities. They were going to hunt down all the Jesus people. And so they were in fear. And they shouldn't have been. They should not have been wasting that energy. When I say they should be anticipating here, this is an emotion. Let me give you two definitions that are brilliant. I'll just say it myself. It's brilliant. These words are brilliant. These descriptions, you can can hashtag them if you want to. Here's the first one. Anticipation is the ability to endure or even enjoy the uncertain present because of a very certain future. Sunday comes into Saturday. Sunday comes into Saturday and makes Saturday different. Do you get that? Sunday invades Saturday. This is what I want to call the Barbara Pitt principle. She's sitting there in hospice house, and I know if she's anything like she was at St. Bernard's this week, that that lung thing, that breathing is a little hard. She's she's just kind of doing everything she can to get her next breath. But you know what? She absolutely knows what's ahead. And there is no fear because the future drives the present fear out. It has that effect if you really believe it but not only is that for her to face this moment with courage but that's for her daughter standing by the bedside too. She believes it too and it makes this entire thing different. Your Saturday doesn't have to be tragic. It can be hopeful because you know about Sunday already. Here's the next one. The ability of future joy to so invade the anxious present that it wins. It comes out the winner. It comes out the winner. That's what anticipation is. If you really believe that future and you can see it and taste it and even dance to the music of it right now, it makes the present so different. For us, we don't have a time stamp like they did. We don't have the number of days. They knew it was the third day. We don't know what day it is. We don't even have signs to tell us when it might happen. It's just going to happen. But we know that it is. We just gathered around the Lord's table and we proclaimed the Lord's death until when? Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes that's what we're saying every time we gather around the lord's table he's coming y'all we're saying to each other he's coming he died yes but he's coming again we're saying that to each other again and that's called anticipation so here's what you do don't leave your earthly stuff outside in your car before you come in the church building don't leave your struggle, your str- struggles, troubles, strife, tension, anxiety. Don't leave them at the door and come in here and try to act like they don't exist. Here's what you do. Bring them in with you. Bring them all right in here and let the earthly junk meet the heavenly truth of the future and see what happens to them. Don't leave them out there like, well, that's a, this can't touch. This isn't relevant. This isn't relevant except for this moment. Oh, yeah, it is. Bring it all in here, and when heaven meets earth, heaven changes it. Heaven changes it for you, if you believe it. It's called anticipation. There's one other thing. They should have been preparing for it. This preparing is about your behavior. It's not about your emotions now. It's about your behavior. You know how if tomorrow you're going on a vacation? Now, you're not, I know, because your spring break is over. (laughs) Spring break is over. Sorry, reality back, y'all. Now, Melissa's just starting. So she's gonna be waving at you all week as you go to school, right? You got a vacation to the beach, right, tomorrow. What are you doing today? If you go into the beach tomorrow, what are you doing today? You're packing, getting your money together, getting your technology together, your phones all charged up, you're packing everything. That's what you're preparing. Tomorrow is when you leave. You can't leave today, but you're leaving tomorrow. But you can do something today about that. And that's what they should have been doing that Saturday. They should have been preparing. And they actually were. The ladies were lining up the spices they were going to use to anoint the dead Jesus the next day. Sitting there at the door, lined up. As soon as it gets tomorrow, light, we'll go and grab these things and go on. They were preparing for a dead Lord, they were preparing for a dead Jesus. The disciples were too. They were thinking, where did I put those fishing nets and where's the applications for the jobs now that the post-Jesus experience happens? They were all preparing for the next day to be just another day of a dead Jesus. And it was so wrong. As they get to that, they get to that, that tomb, they realize, whoa, it's not a dead Jesus. It's a living Lord we're facing. And I've got to tell you this. The next time, the next move of God is this. You will come face-to-face with a living, victorious Lord, so be preparing for it. Don't prepare for a dead Jesus. Prepare for a living one. He comes to collect the prepared people, and to be prepared, you must be preparing. I'm going to give you a very brief kit of this. Number one, prepared people pray, Luke 18. Will there be faith when I come again? Depends if they're praying. Praying is your ability to on to the end second thing worship worship is the one thing that continues what we do here will continue in eternity so let's get better at this let's let's view this with some purpose because it prepares you for that worship there third don't earth as if it's all there is some people want to say you only live once you got to live it all up no you don't no you don't do not live like this is all that important. If you start thinking this is all there is and you start living as if it's all there is, for you, it will be all there is. There's a whole lot more of great life beyond this, but you sacrifice it for this. And finally, your gift that you've been given. Use your sons for God and don't bury them. That's just a a few simple things. I don't want to spend much time on that. You know what? It kind of turns out I'm glad God wrote the story just as he did, Saturday included. I think I would have messed it up. And if there's anybody here who's not prepared for the next move, don't wait for the next move. It's too late. Prepare right now to be a prepared people for when Sunday comes. And whatever that means for you, Do it now as we stand and as we sing.